You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he is setting the controls for the heart of the sun. It's Jeff McLarge-Huge. I do fantasize about crashing into the heart of the sun on a relatively regular basis, so it could just be me. At this point in time, yes. (laughs) So, um, I am notoriously late to the party, like, all the time. I literally have a wisdom tooth that's just starting to come in now. It's like, hey, guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> any beer left? Uh, you know? Uh, so, um, so, like, yes. at least a year ago, YouTube had a series on YouTube Red or YouTube Divine or whatever it's called um, where they were doing the Cobra Kai series. The Million Year Late sequel to uh, the Karate Kid. Yes. Films. Now, uh, Netflix started carrying, uh, I, I guess it was over the summer, like late summer, but I just started watching it like this week. I shouldn't even say this week, yesterday. And, right. you know, I got out of work, I come home, I made myself supper, I sit down in front of the TV and I start watching it, you know, while I'm eating and then while I was practicing my ukulele and all that. And I just let it run. And before, right. before I knew it, I was like three and a half hours in. I watched seven episodes right in a row. Bang, bang, oh, wow. bang, bang. Yeah, it's gripping. <laughs> huh. I haven't watched it, but I remember seeing the film. Mm-hmm. I, I watched the. I think I saw all four of the films in the cinema. The first of which I saw. Yeah, there are four. There's, mm-hmm. there's Daniel versus the Cobra Kai Dojo. That's yep. Karate Kid. Yep. There's Daniel versus the Japanese Kid on Okinawa. That's Karate Kid Two. Yes, that's all I saw. There's Daniel San versus the Cobra Kai Dojo with the kid who sweeps the leg. But he's a special karate guy. That's Cobra. That's number three, where the focus of it is forms. And then on number four, it's a different actor playing Daniel San because it's a girl, and she ends up. They kind of sort of redo the first Karate Kid with her as the star. Right. It's not very. Good. I remember. I don't remember part three at all. I remember the girl, and I remember them like remaking it with Will Smith's kid. Yeah. And Jackie Chan, but. Huh. Yep. Yeah, I never. I don't even know that part three, but yeah, part part three was like the the sort of the big emotional hook was that Daniel had been given a bonsai tree by Mr. Miyagi, and this guy had like broken it, and he was gonna go put the bonsai tree on this ridge, and it, that it's it's complicated, but <laughs> it's complicated and not very good. Sounds and, needlessly and very complicated. Repetitive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, the the Cobra Kai story is interesting because. You know, with Gen X, you and I, the Karate Kid, even though Ralph Macchio and Bill, I can't think of his name, the guy that plays Johnny. William Zabka. I met him 
And he is a super, super nice guy, which is hilarious because he's such a dick in every movie he plays. So um, in Cobra Kai, this acting. Yeah, acting. So John in the in the series, you know, they're all, you know, middle aged. They're in their 50s. Uh, Daniel San, (laughs) he owns like a a number of like car dealers, car dealerships and like high end car dealerships. He's very well off. And Johnny is like doing handyman work, like working for somebody else. And his, you know, he's kind of an alcoholic. He's a deadbeat dad. His life just kind of like sucks. But like in the first couple of episodes, it shows like flashbacks to the original movie, you know, kind of like where their lives took their, their turn. You know, Johnny's life was just garbage after that because he got beat. And that was like his down, that was like his downward spiral. And then, and it, and as someone who's participated in a large number of karate tournaments, karate tournaments, th- no one goes to those except the parents of the kids who are at the karate tournament. Yeah. So, like the fact that that would be the defining moment in his life <laughs> is on on in and of its service is really funny. That's like somebody who loses like the middle school seventh grade debate <laughs> and then hits the skids like right after that and never really recovers. Right, exactly. And then like Danielson. <laughs> Daniel LaRusso. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. His whole like gimmick in the movie is here it is, he's it's 30 years later, and he's still hell bent on getting revenge on Johnny for bullying him all those years ago. Right. It's like, let right. it go, dude, you know? And I think that's kind of like I don't like I haven't finished season one. I still got a couple more episodes, and then there's a season two. It seems to be that's going to be like the underlying theme of the mo- of the of the series is let it go. Yeah, maybe maybe the theme is more like you become that which you fear or hate the right. most, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, you become a giant ass wipe because you had to deal with a giant ass wipe in your formative years, right. and now, like your your good friend you and mine, uh, Nietzsche said, you know, battle ye not with monsters, lest you become a monster. You know, you got the poor guy who like blows out the fourth grade spelling bee because he can't spell calendar and hits the skids. And then pretty soon he's, you know, he's trying to like scam lunches off of his friends. He's and... only drinking Coors beer because that's all <laughs> he can only, manage he's to only, spell. He's only drinking <laughs> warm chocolate milk because he can't afford the refrigerated stuff. He can't risk spelling beer wrong, so he just drinks Coors. Right. <laughs> Coors, right. Well, it's got two letters in it that are identical, so it's the same yeah, thing. That's how he remembers. The one with the ooh. <laughs> I want the beer with the I want the, the E with the O. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we get the show rolling, I got a trivia question for you. All right. All right. Uh, in the mid to late 70s, disco was incredibly popular, and yes. the Grammy Awards decided that they were going to add Best Disco Song as one of their okay. categories. Uh, by the next year, though, disco had so much backlash that they eliminated that category. So there oh. has been only one... Grammy that was ever awarded for best disco song. What was that song? All right, I'm going to think for a minute. Uh, you was... think? No, nope, you think oh, about it. I'll you think. think about oh, it. Oh, I got more than a minute. Then good. I'm, uh, I'm going yeah. to think till the end of the show. Yeah, I will give you the question. I'll give you the answer at the end of the show. Ah, awesome. If I don't get it, if I don't get the right answer. All right, so uh, let's make a show. This is the week beginning November the 16th, and uh, we're going to let you start. All right, November the 16th, 1965. Walt Disney launches the Epcot Center, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. 1965. And that's where it, uh, that opened in like 1981. It did, 
but they started planning it and setting aside the park space for it uh-huh. and building the attractions in 65. So that was the launch, but not the wow, opening. S- slow and burn. I think Epcot is still there. Right? Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I, so. I, I haven't been to Epcot in a number of years, but I was going to make it a point this year to go down to Epcot, but <laughs> the world saw it different <laughs> this year. Well, I, I wonder if they've had to make changes to like some of the attractions. Oh, I should there, hope based so. Based on how strange this year is. <laughs> You know, because uh, <laughs> in the year 2022, you can expect a record yeah. scratch. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the 20s right. at all. Thank you. The exit is this way. Please find your way to the small world ride. Now, the yeah. last time I went to Epcot, I had gone down to Florida with my friend Greg. We both we drove down there. A lot of times in friendships, there's... You know, there's the R2-D2, and then there's a C-3PO. You know what I mean? There's a troublemaker, and yes. then there's a... T- well, with Greg and I, we're two R2-D2s, okay? I thought it was just like there was a short guy that beeps, and there was a tall guy who was made of golden pieces. <laughs> That's you and I. You're the short guy that beeps. <laughs> That's, right. That's true. I do. I do beep. But no, we're, we're, we're two wise guys, to the point that before we left to drive down there... We went to AAA to get our trip ticks there, the you know the directions, because this is the day before cell phones. We also right. got get out of jail uh, bond cards, you know, just in case, because like I said, we were kind of two um, wise guys and troublemakers. At Epcot. Wait, wait, this story is amazing. We get we we oh, get okay, to the right. timeshare place, right? And Greg goes, yep. stay out in the car. Uh, keep the engine running. We may have to get out of here fast. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, never mind. Comes back in to the car. He goes, we're all set. I was like, what's going on? He goes, I wasn't actually sure if I was going to be able to pull this off, but the timeshare is not in my name. It's in my mother's name, right? Now, Greg, you have to understand, is half Lebanese and looks very Lebanese, right? Okay. The reservation was in his mother's name, Natalie. Natalie Farris, right? So Yeah. He says he goes checking in to this timeshare place, and the guy says to him, "He goes now, where's Natalie?" He goes, "Oh, that's me. My name's not Natalie. It's Natalie." <laughs> he goes, "My Americanized name is Greg." He goes, "I chose the name Greg whenever I moved to America." He goes, "But my birth, my birth name is yeah, Nata- yeah, yeah. Natalie." He goes, and then I was just like, "You don't need to see my identification." <laughs> <laughs> and we checked in. We got into this timeshare using this bull story that his name was Natalie Farron. Oh, that's I love totally that story. Funny. So we had accrued <clears throat> some uh, interesting passes to get in. They were passes that belonged to workers that no longer work there. They weren't working. They they buzzed as soon as we tried them. So we're like, yeah. They were like, where did right. you get these passes from? It's like we're just gonna leave. And they're like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So we're out in the <laughs> we're out in the park. <laughs> They do, they do frown on that kind of a way to get into the we park. We go right? out into the parking lot and vroom, security comes like right up to us. And like, uh, leaving kind of early, aren't you boys? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, um, they didn't really like our passes too much. He goes, and he goes, can I see them? And we just kind of hold them up. He goes, where did you get those passes? I was like, we're leaving. He goes, come back tomorrow when you got real passes, okay? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I noticed your Massachusetts license plate. Where are you from? I go, I'm... Uh, I go Massachusetts. Surprisingly I go, I'm enough, I'm from um, New Bedford, and he goes, "Well, I don't know where New Bedford is, but I know where New Bedford is." <laughs> he was from the area. He was super cool with us, but he was like, "Yeah." He goes, 
don't try using those passes. You'll you're lucky you're only getting thrown out of here. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I was gonna say that you know they built the Epcot Center on the old dungeon. <laughs> The old Disney dungeon. Well, here's the deal. The next day, we had <coughs> acquired uh, legitimate passes, and we were at uh, the seas in, inside of Epcot Center, the uh, the big aquarium there. And yep. we smooth-talked this girl into letting us in. Not only did we get into like the backstage area, we get to see the filtration system. We learned the secret knock to get into the filtration system. But we were also inside the feeding area of the aquarium. Like, I was on top. Like, I could have dove in. I was like two and a half seconds and a bad decision for making tomorrow's newspapers. I could have dove into the, the, the living seas. That's where we were. So we went from getting thrown out of Disney World and almost arrested to smooth talking our way into the backstage areas. It was fun. Wow. Way better story than I have <laughs> about getting a third degree sunburn at Universal Studios water park. <laughs> yeah, that was an adventure. It was fun. Uh, I shed so much skin, I, I had a tan on my bones. All right, one, one last thing for November 16th. Okay. Uh, as you know, if you are a listener to this podcast, we have been dutifully and studiously tracking all of the evidence that Paul McCartney is not dead. And as if to prove us right yet again, in 1979, he releases the worst Christmas song of all time, Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas. Yeah. Could a dead man write that song? I don't think so. Well, there's no way. It would be better. I don't think a dead man could write this. How do you hold, how do you hold the guitar? <laughs> all right. So He'd have to just lay there. Someone would have to write it for him. <laughs> all right. So moving on to the 17th. Uh, in 1928, the Boston Garden opens its doors. Yes. The legendary Boston Garden. Home of the Celtics. Uh, home of the Celtics and home of the Boston Bruins as well. Yep, that's right. They can't play at the same time, those two teams. No, that would be... Fun fact. It would be awesome if they did, if they switched it up for one one or two games. Poor Larry Bird out there, sprawled out on the ice. Bobby Orr can't make the basket shot with all of his pads on. The um, Yeah, I think skating on the hardwood would be hell, but the puck, I think, would fly across pretty nice. Probably would. Yep. I've never seen any sporting events at the Boston Garden. I'm, I'm not a sports guy. I've seen a bunch of concerts there, though. I haven't been. I, I never went to the original Boston Garden because, again, I'm not a sports guy like you. Mm -hmm. And for me, concerts were always Worcester or Providence when I was in my formative years before Boston Garden closed. Right. They didn't do a lot so. of concerts at Boston Garden. They did do them over at the TD, like the, the, the arena they built next right. door. Uh, I did right. see one event, though, at Boston Garden, the original Boston Garden. I saw WrestleMania yep. 14 there. Oh, nice. Yep. Probably... I mean, the most recognized name in wrestling is always going to be Hulk Hogan, but arguably the bigger star was Stone Cold Steve Austin. When wrestling was huge in the 90s, I mean, Stone Cold was the star. Was he as famous as Ivan Putzky, the Polish prince? No, and not quite as famous as uh, Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester. <laughs> he was right up there with Bob Backlund. Oh, Bob Backlund was a big name. But anyway, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I was there when he won his... Uh, first world championship beating Shawn Michaels. Funny story about that match is Shawn Michaels at the time was a notorious like dick, and he was he was slated to retire after that. Yep. There was a lot of like talk that he was going to like flub the match. What does he care? He's going to retire. You know. Right before he went out, the Undertaker, who's a large, large, large man. And he is indeed. And much like the Wu Tang Clan, no one to f with. He is standing in what they call the gorilla position, like right behind the curtain. 
and he has his fists taped up. And as Shawn Michaels is walking by him, he kind of like nudges him in the shoulder, beats his fists together, and looks Shawn right in the eyes and says, have a good match. In other words, if you don't drop the belt, you're going to answer to me. And wow. yeah, and Shawn Michaels, they bill him as like, you know, 210 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That guy probably weighs yep. about 170 pounds. Yeah, he's, he's not a big dude. Maybe they maybe they weighed him with he had a lot of quarters on him. <laughs> yeah, it was his hair. And he has a wallet full of lead. And and, and a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, that was the one and only time that I saw Michael Tyson in person. Oh. Yeah, he was there. He oh. was uh, an integral part of that match. He was the guest referee. Oh, nice! I bet that I bet that that match is probably on YouTube. Is can that's is that something that can be watched by? Mm, by uh, it, if it's on YouTube, it's probably something that gets taken down fairly quickly because uh, um, WWE is like the Disney of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So if you have the network, you can look it up. I'm sure. But, uh, okay. but yep, um, there's lots of lots of wrestling stuff on the internet, and I'm sure you could watch some sort of documentary about Undertaker threatening to murder. <laughs> I was I was more interested in Mike Tyson as the referee than oh. I was with the the internal politics of professional <laughs> wrestling. But because you know, like again, I'm not into the wrestling is often described as like the sort of testosterone version of of a sort of a soap opera and i just don't have the time and energy to to get involved in the stories and follow them along it's it's not that i i'm not disparaging it in any way i think that it's a wonderful way to tell a story it's just it's such a long form storytelling thing that it requires a commitment to be yeah. interested in and i just don't have the I've time been watching to it constantly to it. since i was eight right. uh shows that i saw at the boston garden since so that's what we're talking about i saw rush on their test for echo tour and interesting about that is I was in the absolute back row, and that was the last time that I saw Rush. The first time that I saw Rush was at the Providence Civic Center, and I saw them in the front row, so it was nice bookends. Um, oh, there yep. you go. I, uh, I also saw Roger Waters there twice. It was going to be three times, but, you know, 2020 is dumb. Yeah, uh, yep. But I saw Roger Waters perform The Wall there. And I waited 25 years to see that concert. It was literally the best concert I've ever seen. It was astounding. That's 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 great. I saw an absolutely mezza mezza okay concert there. The <laughs> only time I think that I've been there. And it was Joan Jett, where she played like eight songs. This, and you could name them if you wanted mm-hmm. to, without thinking too hard. I had seats so far back that Joan Jett was like the size of a pea. A peanut leather jacket, yeah. A peanut leather jacket, yeah. And then she opened for Boston, who were great and had a singer they found on the internet because their regular singer or their original singer, Brad Delp, passed away some years earlier. And they sounded just like a record. So essence of Millie Vanilli. I don't know that it wasn't (laughs) Brad Delp actually singing. But uh, yeah, there's nothing like being in a room with 25,000 people who are considerably older than me who are like... Joan Jett, and it's like Joan Jett is in the AARP now. So is Boston. <laughs> like Boston is old. The thing with Joan you know? Jett is like she put out their first album, you know, I Love Rock and Roll, and then like every other album except for like maybe one peppered in the middle somewhere tanked. I don't know why that woman's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She doesn't have a great career, and basically, no, and it's... basically, all she does is cover tunes. I, I think it's basically because she's just been touring continuously and keeping her career yeah. alive. And even though her records, she has a core core of fans. Like the person that I went to see Joan Jett with was like, he could care less. They could have set Boston on fire on stage and watched them burn. And he would have been like, best 
concert I've ever <laughs> been to. Did you hear Bad Reputation? She did Bad Reputation. Like, of course she did Bad Reputation. There's only eight songs that anybody knows that Joan Jett's ever that's sang. that's two and of them. It's like, no, she's got a whole record. <laughs> that's two of them. And, and, so there's a core of people who will go see her no matter what she's yeah. doing. All right. Uh, let's go on to the 18th. November 18th, 1985, Paul McCartney, again, proving that he's still very much alive and writing songs, releases the theme song to the film Spies Like Us. Do you have anything else? <laughs> Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. But I wanted to make sure that that got out there. Um, in 2011, the video game Minecraft is officially released by Mojang. And if you talk to anybody between the ages of like, I don't know, I'm going to say 40 and zero, they probably spend 40 hours a week playing Minecraft. And it's a sandbox video game with rudimentary graphics that allows the user to create virtually anything. My kids love it. They absolutely adore it. I am baffled by the whole thing. I don't understand non-zero-sum gaming, but... I like sandbox games, like, to an extent. Like, I I, I really, really loved Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. It was like, a, you know, Roller Coaster Tycoon 1 and 2 were cool, don't get me wrong, but 3 allowed you to, like, ride the roller coasters, like, kind of in 3D. And right. Yeah, the thing is, like, but Roller Coaster Tycoon is, like, it's a sandbox, but it's, like, it has defined borders. Like, it's about roller coasters. Yeah, it's about uh, amusement parks, yeah. Right? Minecraft is literally, you just mine for resources and you can make, and you could make a copy of Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. People have done stuff like that. Like, it is such a, it is a platform that allows for an incredible amount of customization and creativity so that you can build things that are functional, do functional programming inside of that environment. Again, my again, it's something my kids way understand way more than I do. To me, it looks like a little square guy who bangs on things with a thing. But to them, they're like, "Look, I'm making diamonds." I'm like, "What do you what do you do with that?" Well, I combine it with this, and I combine it with that, and look, I've made a shoe. And I'm like, "That's a shoe." And he goes, "Yeah, that's a, now I take the shoe and I I can put this other thing on it. And now I, and now watch, I can watch TV on it. Like you're watching TV on a shoe on a computer. Like why don't we just watch TV on the TV where the thing is set up?" But no, this is Minecraft. That was the so. thing. Like I downloaded Minecraft. And I just, I really just don't have the patience for stuff like this because like, like I started playing it and it seemed like you would have to invest probably three to four years collectively of your life before you could start doing anything really amazing. And like I said, I just, I just don't have the time. I was going to say, that's exactly why it's so popular with kids who are between the ages of like five and 20, because they don't realize that they have a finite lifespan. Oh, right. And they can spend that kind. They can spend that kind of time, like learning how to do all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, for real. There was another sandbox game. Like it, it's going to go down in history as one of the biggest flops of video in video game history. Like the advertisements for it that led up to its release. They were like, it's an open world game. It's a big, huge sandbox game, and it takes place in the universe. There's going to be and basically an infinite amount of planets, an infinite amount of gameplay, and like each game, each planet's going to have its own like evolutionary scale, and this, that, and the other. It's called No Man's Sky, and that thing right. dropped like a rock, dude. And I remember why, because if you're dumb enough to advertise your product as it's unlimited. There's there are people out there with uh, enough enough free time to be like, oh really? Well, let's show you how limited it is, and they'll find that like, oh my god, he duplicated the planet that they said were going to be spontaneously generated for every user six times. Like I found the same planet six times, or I've traveled across the entire universe and found, you know, where I started. Yeah, ha ha, no man's and, sky. And at that point, any benefits that the game has, as vast as it is, are lost because it's not right. unlimited. And you know, it's like it's like you go to a place with unlimited pizza. Would you like unlimited pizza? Yeah, but you can only eat so much pizza, and then you'll die. The problem with the game too was like when it was released, it was like maybe twenty percent done. 
there was like nothing right. to it. I, I heard, because I own it, because I'm a ding dong. I heard that some of the newer updates allow you to play the game with the VR helmet on, and that intrigues me, but I haven't had the time to, to load it up yet. That's like, again, that follows, I, I have such a hard time with video gaming now just mm-hmm. as a hobby, because I, I find myself saying like, you know, you could be doing something more with your time because you have a finite lifespan. And I'm like, what? What was that voice? So the voice said I have a finite lifespan, and then I go clean something or read a book or, or try and write a story or some other thing because it, it feels like it's such a commitment to spend time doing something that the ultimate reward is that my ass goes numb and then I have weird opaque knowledge or weird esoteric knowledge to scare with my to, to share with my son, although he doesn't play the same games that I do. And he just sort of nods his head like I nod my head when he talks about Minecraft. That was me a couple of months ago where I decided I was going to learn how to ride the unicycle. And guess what? My ass was numb, oddly enough. Yep. All right, moving on to November the 19th, 1965. The Pop-Tart is invented. Ooh, a breakfast treat for all ages right there. Uh, I was uh, somewhere recently, like I came into a conversation that was already happening, and the girl looks at me and she goes, Pop-Tarts, frosted or unfrosted? I'm like, whoa, 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 you're cornering me here. This is a loaded question. Uh, I go, well, it depends on the Pop-Tart. She's like, strawberry. I go, uh, I could go either way, uh, honestly. Uh, un- un- unfrosted, she goes, unfrosted is my jam. And I was like, I kind of see what you did there, and that's funny. Uh, and yeah. then... You've never even had a Pop-Tart, yeah. have you, lady? I just did it to make <laughs> the joke. She, no, yeah. she did have Thanks. Pop-Tarts because she was saying that like two weeks prior, her, get this, her and her husband were making homemade Pop-Tarts. And I'm like... Why would why would you do such a thing? Just go buy them by the box. It's like a buck forty nine. And if you buy the store brand, which tastes exactly like the Kellogg's devil, Pop-Tarts, they do. You can buy their 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 name they, differently. No, but they the don't. Same they product. taste like the box they came in. There's a big difference between Post Toasties and freaking Pop Tarts. I'm not even talking about the goodness of Post Toasties. I'm talking like the you know Shaw's brand generalized breakfast pastry thing. Why would you sit around the house make it a pop tart? It's like the like making your own pasta. Just buy a box. It's eighty nine cents. It is eighty nine cents. But I will say this: like I have been known to make my own pasta, my own spaghetti, my own lasagna noodles, and they definitely taste. It tastes very, very different than store bought spaghetti. I love store bought spaghetti. Spaghetti is my favorite food. I will literally eat it seven days a week if I can. Um, but making my own pasta is is it's. Tons of Somebody out there right now, and I'll tell you who that person is, me, is saying, you think that Minecraft is a waste of time, and yet you make your own pasta. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it's one of those, you know, why'd you climb that mountain, guy? Because it was there. Like, why'd you make your own pasta? Why the hell not? So I make my own pickles, so I I see see where the argument is. Let's uh, let's ask the question, uh, what what is your favorite Pop-Tart? Okay. My favorite Pop-Tart, I have to think about this for a while because there are many varieties of Pop-Tart that I like. I I have to go back to when I was a kid, and it's probably from the deprivation of this particular type of Pop-Tart on the rare occasion my mother would purchase them. I would try to negotiate towards, I would even threaten to tantrum if I couldn't get chocolate frosted Pop-Tarts. And my mom was like, that's not breakfast anything. You can't have that. I might as well just make you brownies for breakfast and let you eat that. Now we're talking, sister. Exactly was my plan to get brownies oh for God. breakfast. The chocolate. Yeah, that's like chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, I'd push you out of the way for chocolate pop tarts. I might even kick you if they were frosted. Me? I'm going to go with brown sugar and cinnamon. That's my favorite one. That one's That's my jam, so to speak. Brown sugar and cinnamon. Again, that is not breakfast. That is just sugar. 
which is right. awesome. As a side note, as a part of that conversation with the homemade Pop-Tarts people, I was saying that the S'mores Pop-Tarts are wonderful, but they are the only Pop-Tart that I enjoy better cold. Hmm. I can't remember if I've had those. I'm not a big s'mores fan just in general, yeah. but... They are, they're better cold than they are heated up. So let me ask you a trivia question. What is the serving size for Pop-Tarts, Mr. Bill? Oh, the whole box. The whole goddamn box. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, it should say that right on the back, it, oh, even yeah. though it doesn't, but it should say, just, you're going to eat the whole goddamn box. It doesn't matter what the numbers say. Yep. Let's move on to the 20th. November 20th, 1959, WABC in New York uh, fired Alan Freed at the height of the payola scandal. The payola scandal, for those of you who don't know, is when Alan Freed would take money from record companies to place specific records in rotation, thus improving the sales of those records because WABC had national syndication for his show. He got fired, and his life went uh, less than good from there on. But the business practice that he was convicted of participating in, which is illegal, it's ridiculous. The idea that somebody would pay you to advertise something is how business works. That's how radio stations work. They give money to get the things played. And, and music in and of itself is an advertisement for the artist that records it. Right. The way the payola model works is you're a DJ. I'm a record right. company. I give you my record that I want you to play and a couple of bucks extra so you'll play this, the, the thing extra. That's called payola. Or at least that's, that's right. it was called payola. Yes. Now it's called the way sh works. <laughs> now let's go like how radio stations get their records, yes. Right. Let's, I mean, go back, I think it was uh, 1999, I think, or something like that. Britney Spears, her first album, Ship Platinum. I, I mean, think about that. This yeah, bands yeah. that have been around... They record their album, you know, and it takes years and it goes platinum. We were talking about uh, the Monster Mash, which took 20 years to go gold. Look, you can get around this, though, and you know how? Payola? No, you become Kiss and you name your album Double Platinum. That was the greatest hits album. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> like, if I was putting out a record, Bill, my record would be called The Greatest Record of 2020. Right. But, that would be the name of my record. Yeah, but, the most amazing record I've ever heard. But going back to uh, Britney Spears, that album shipped platinum. There was no way that that girl was going to fail. They right. they sunk a lot of money like into her. And go back to Joan Jett, her follow-up to I Love Rock and Roll, which you can make an argument was either the second or the third album, but the follow-up was called Album. And that album did not do she, well. You know what she should have called that record? Triple platinum. Yeah, quadruple million dollar platinum. Unobtainium. Uh, oddly enough, Faith No More's uh, last album before their reunion album was called Album of the Year. And it was uh, see? effing amazing. It was probably the best album to come out in 1994. But, you know, unless you're a Faith No More fan, you've never heard of it. And it's, a, it's, well, it's an amazing album. See, there you go. Album. It was the album of the year. It certainly was. Uh, in uh, 1976, moving on, segues of the kids. <laughs> November 21st. Yeah, November the 21st, 1976, the film starring and written by Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, premieres. The same. So, yeah, Rocky was uh, just a, a huge phenomenon. And Rocky's also kind of like Jaws, where the first movie's amazing, the second movie's pretty good, and every subsequent sequel is just ridiculous. I I have a different take on the Rocky. I, I love the first Rocky film. I think it's probably the best sports movie that's ever been made. I think Rocky II, as far as storytelling goes, is uh, phenomenal. It's like the Empire Strikes Back of Rocky films. It's... okay. 
It is so good because Rocky in and of itself is a film about a dumb guy who doesn't know a bunch of stuff who through hard work and determination beats the odds and ends up in a heavyweight fight. Doesn't win, but he takes home a load of money. Rocky 2, it's a fantastic, fantastic story. Redemption. In that, too, Apollo Creed wants to show definitively that he was the better boxer because there were questions about whether or not you know, he never rocked. He never knocked Rocky out, and Rocky sort of should have won, but the, the it was a split decision, right? It was a nail biter of and an ending, too. It was a nail biter of an ending, and 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 Rocky too. While it goes the other way, and Rocky finally like gets it, Apollo Creed to the to the mat. Uh, the storytelling is super duper complicated, and like even it's grim and almost hopeless for the first two thirds of the film. And I love the way that they tell the story. Rocky three, it falls into the formula where you get the up and coming challenger who's like Rocky was in Rocky one, and Rocky's like Apollo Creed was in Rocky one and Rocky two, except they combine it all in. There's the one with the crazy Dolph Lundgren. Hold on, go back to go back to Rocky three for a second. Uh, Rocky three, yep. you can make an argument is the reason why wrestling is so popular because Hulk Hogan was in Rocky three, and that made a star. Thunder yeah, Lips. Thunder Lips, and made a right. star out of him. Mister T was in uh, Rocky three. And Mr. T became very popular, but Mr. T and Hulk Hogan were the focal point of the very first WrestleMania, WrestleMania. which really, you know, put wrestling on the map as a worldwide uh, phenomenon. All right, Rocky IV is freaking ridiculous. Yes, it's ridiculous. It's almost a science fiction movie, and <laughs> it, it is definitely a, it encapsulates the 1980s and the end of the Cold War really well. You know, it's only through that sort of American stick and going back to your roots and running around in the snow with a giant rock or a log on your back um, will you be able to beat this high-tech sort of monster boxer who kills your friend in the ring. Yeah. If you if you watch Rocky Four and you're like, you know what? I, I think I'd like to start watching boxing. I'm going to start watching boxing. And you watch boxing after you watch Rocky Four, you are going to be very disappointed because Rocky Four yes. is like watching a murder. It's like yep. watching a murder unfold before your eyes. They are just, like every punch is a knockout punch. Uh, I was just watching a documentary about it. You know, um, Sylvester Stallone was like, when they were filming, would tell Dolph Lundgren, you know, don't don't hold back on the punches too much. Make it look as good as possible. And he hit Stallone right. in the chest so hard it sw it swelled his heart and, uh, and <laughs> like he heart punched him. And Stallone had to go right. to the hospital for a couple of days. Crazy, yep. crazy stuff. Um, and then Rocky Five with Tommy Morrison, who went on to his own career as a boxer after that film, or he had a career I, as a boxer slightly yeah, before that film too. Boxing, yeah. Not not no. a great film. On the upside, you know, as again as people get more nostalgic for the old stuff, there was Rocky Balboa, which I thought was fantastic. I that was fun. Yep. It it was fan fantastic film and Creed that came after it in Creed Two. So sort of tie that sort of snake eating its tail style of storytelling. It's I thought it, they were just wonderful. Uh, and as far as a series with that many films in it goes, it's one that holds up well with a little sag in the middle. Right. You know, there's, there's certain movies like or certain movie series I should say. I'm a big fan of the Friday the Thirteenth series, but I kind of like right. stop at part eight, which is terrible. But I stop at part eight. Because, like, after that, it just becomes kind of like fan fiction, you know, to me. Mm -hmm. So with Rocky, I stop at part four. Like, I almost forget that there's a five. And I forgot until you started talking about Rocky Balboa. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a movie. Oh, I saw that, too. I saw that in the theater. Oh, and I liked yep. it, too. I didn't see yep. the Creed movies, though. I have the video game, and it's fun. I haven't seen the Creed movies, but I hear they're great. They are. They are very good. And it was nice to see the way that they built the, the Apollo Creed's son character up and 
Rocky sort of becomes like Mickey from Rocky. I don't know. They're totally worth watching. They're they're a little bit more cliched than the others. Yeah. By virtue of what they are, but going into the into the films knowing that that's it's not an issue. Rocky just a quick uh, tie back like when, to what we were talking about before, John Alvinson who directed mm-hmm. Rocky from the script by Sylvester Stallone also directed The Karate Kid. Oh. So oh, no kidding. So a lot of super if you watch the two of them the storytelling is beat by beat is almost the oh, same. Yeah. That is, yeah, they are, they are very similar. Uh, one more thing about Rocky Four, going back to Dolph Lundgren not pulling his punches. Carl Weathers, who played Apollo, he almost quit because Dolph Lundgren was beating the holy shit out of him in the when they were, they were filming. That's the fight that he dies in. Oh, well, yeah, and he almost killed Stallone. It's like, geez, yeah, Dolph, right. dial it in. Dial it back. Yep. All right, so uh, let's wrap up the week here with November the 22nd. November 22nd, 1986, speaking of boxing, 20-year-old Mike Tyson becomes the youngest heavyweight champion in history when he knocks out Trevor Burbick in the second round to earn the WBC title in La- at the Las Vegas Hilton. I don't remember if I saw that fight, but I may have. And I know I watched the bunch of the ones that he fought after that where they kept putting uh, an increasing number of old and out-of-date sort of fighters up in front of him, thinking that experience would trump his like beast-like ferocity and superhuman strength. And he just mowed guys down like mad. Trevor Burbick was a really good boxer mm. too, but even he took one too many to the face and like he, he left the ring in a... Stretcher. Yeah, Mike Tyson fights up until the ear biting incident and all that. But the, the Mike Tyson fights in the eighties, like I said about the Rocky movies, those were like watching a murder. Well, the thing is, like, it was the birth of pay per view, and it also hurt pay per view as an industry mm-hmm. because I mean, you'd you'd spend fifty bucks, right? You get all your friends together, you all chip in, and you spend fifty bucks on this stupid fight, and you end up having to sit through an undercard of seven different fights and eight different weight classes where people you've never heard of before that are ne- you're never going to see again. And then finally, because they're in Las Vegas, we're on the East Coast, right? So finally, you're, you know, you get one o'clock in the morning. It's it's time for the one o'clock in the morning Eastern. It's time for the big fight. And you're barely awake still. The fight comes out. By the time they finish introducing the fighters, the fight's pretty much yeah. over. It, they last like 40 I seconds. I gotta pee. I gotta pee. I'll be right back. And then, yeah. Right. I, 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 I Uncle is that I dropped a controller. When I picked the controller back up, the fight was <laughs> over. So how that hurt pay-per-view real quick was that people were like, I'm not going to spend the money for this. Like, screw right. this. I mean, it was such a phenomenon. And it, and it was such a weird story to watch Tyson, like, rise and fall. You know, the way Don King kind of, like, used and manipulated him for all the money and all that stuff. And. Don King's hair, you know Mike Tyson's uh, legal troubles uh, to be as vague as we can. Right. Uh, it was yeah, it was, it was really uh, an interesting story to watch uh, as a Gen as a Gen Xer, the you know watching the rise and fall of Mike Tyson. Uh, he's done a lot of great stuff, like charities and stuff like that. Well, he's made a career most recently out of sort of becoming a parody of himself. It started when he was cast in The Hangover uh, and made his appearance at the end of Hang- Hangover Number 2 and started doing his own voice on this ridiculous cartoon called Mike Tyson's Mysteries where his character of Mike Tyson is kind of an idiot. It's it's the funny, yeah. funny show. You know, in recent months, he's been, he's been training to get back in the ring and he's like 40-something years old, 50-something years old, and he's... He still looks like he could beat a much younger man to into a coma and then back out of a coma again um, if he really wanted to. It was like a cell phone video that like went viral. Like Mike Tyson was like in a restaurant or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And some guy just like filmed him. He's like, you know, can you still do it? And he like 
just shadow boxing through two punches and did some you know ducking and weaving and i was like that guy could murder somebody like right now there are some videos recently of him with his trainer as he's getting ready to go he's going to do like a five round like right like in rocky balboa right to go do a five round exhibition match he was murdering the pads it was amazing to see like he was like boxing in his prime it was something else uh celebrity birthdays november the 16th 42 bce uh, a man by the name of Tiberius. That's easy to say. It is. You would know him better as the Emperor Nero Caesar. Oh, Nero. Yeah. Fire enthusiast and violin player. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I recognize the name immediately. Yep. Nero, my hero. This is the weirdest story in the world, okay? When my brother and I were kids, we you know we went to Catholic school. I think at the time my brother was 12 and I was like nine, right? And we decided one rainy Saturday afternoon that we were going to figure out who the beast was who the number uh of the beast who the antichrist was who the number of the beast uh 666 points to right so we did this like long big mathematical equation and then we translated the numbers into the hebrew alphabet but which is based on uh numerology we came up with through a weird crossing out process we came out with the beth which is close enough to the beast to be a red herring so we did it again Different mathematical process, crossed out certain duplicate letters, blah, blah, blah. But we came up with a name, and that name was Caesar Neron. And we were like, we looked at each other, we were like, we got to remember that name. If we ever see that name in history, Caesar Neron, we got to remember that name because that's the Antichrist, right? The love child from Caesar Augustus and Taylor Negron. Sure. Comedian. Years later, my brother was reading through uh, Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible, I'm up in my room. My brother's down in his room. I just hear, like, bump, 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 bump. My brother comes, like, running up the stairs, and he's got the book open. He goes, dude, you got to read this page. But before I give you this book, what's the name of the Antichrist? I go, it's Caesar Neron. You know, this is, like, at least 10 years later. But I remembered right. the name. He hands me the book, and it says that a lot of scholars have come to the conclusion that when the book of Revelations was written, they were using a code to talk about Nero Caesar and all the atrocities he was committing in Rome, including the persecutions and, you know, feeding the Christians to the lions and stuff. So they think that the Antichrist that they talk about in the book of Revelations is uh, is Nero Caesar. My brother goes, dude, Nero Caesar, Caesar Neron, that's the name we came up with. There's so many holes in this story, but it's true. One, <laughs> the translation of the Bible, 666, is a mistake. It's actually 616. So we were starting off with the wrong number to begin with. Two, the book of Revelations was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. Uh, so how we came up with the same name is completely random and crazy. That's what happened. We came up with the same name as all these different scholars. Well, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> and then, like, think about that. You get Nero and then Caligula. What a fun time. You can bitch about today's politicians all you want, but I think we... Uh, I think we're, we're getting a little easier than that. Moving on. November 17th, 1944. Twin of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Danny DeVito is born. Can't even uh, tell them apart. They look, I, they're fraternal twins, I should say. Yeah. Be, uh, became famous uh, TV series Taxi. Mm -hmm. Was in a million movies in the 1980s and early 1990s. And now is a hilarious cast member of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, we drove by his house on one of those Hollywood bus tours whenever I was out in mm -hmm. California. They said he's super friendly. If he happens to be home when the bus goes by, he'll come out and wave at everybody. He has a basketball hoop in front of his house and it's super low. It's almost like a kid's basketball hoop because right. even though he's super short, 
He loves shooting baskets. Well, you know what? You gotta adjust the bat. You gotta adjust the play field, right? right. To your strengths. Yep. All right. So uh, next up, uh, November the eighteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. The man who could turn one word into an entire dialogue. Wow. Uh, Owen Wilson, and uh, it's also yep, also the birthday of nineteen twenty-eight. Mickey Mouse. Who can turn more than one word into a conversation. Who can take a rainbow. No, wait, that's the Candyman. <laughs> I think Mickey Mouse, why, he premiered in the cartoon Steamboat Willie. Yes. Right? Yeah, that, that, that was, was that. the day in the thing. Uh, Mickey Mouse, um, who you may have heard of. Uh, <laughs> and that brings us all the way back to our first segment about Epcot Center. It's true. Yes. Without Mickey Mouse, there would be no Epcot. Yeah. Without Epcot... There would be no Britney Spears. Without Britney Spears, there would be no double platinum Kiss records, that's right? right? Is that yep. the, the way that it that's goes? The, that's the way the dominoes fall. All right, next up. On November 19th, 1938, Ted Turner, the founder of CNN. And without Ted Turner, there'd be no WCW. That's right. Ted Turner, the founder of CNN and ultimately of Cartoon Network. And he also did a American movie classics or whatever that became or started as. TCM, yeah. The Turner Classic Movies, that's right, yes. By buying vast quantities of film libraries and, and, and putting them out on television. He's also yeah. the, um, not the mastermind behind, because obviously he doesn't have the tech skills to do it, but... He was the one behind colorizing all the old black and white movies. <laughs> yes, except for the first 12 minutes of uh... Wizard of Oz. So November 20th, 1947, guitar player, formerly of the Eagles, Joe Walsh. Not just of the Eagles, also of the James Gang, of which he was yes. a founding member. And uh, the only good Eagles record, Hotel California, is where he takes a big, he has, plays a big part. I'm not sure if he's on the one no, before. I think that's the, that's like the only it, album he's on. The only album he's on, right. And and after that, when he released uh, But Seriously Folks, which is a should have been a, a great follow-up Eagles record, and he ended up releasing it as a solo, where most of his most famous songs, at least as a solo artist, are known, like Life's Been Good. Fantastic guitar player, really interesting dude. Uh, yes. Also about Joe Walsh, Blink and You'll Miss Him, he's in the Blues Brothers. No kidding. Whereabouts in the Blues Brothers do we see Mr. At the Walsh? the very end in the uh, Jailhouse Rock sequence, he is the very huh. first prisoner to jump up and start dancing on the tables. That was oh, Joe Walsh. Yep. All right, who's next? November 21st, 1834, Henrietta Hetty Green, the American businesswoman who is the first female millionaire in the United States and is from our hometown in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Yep. She was uh, known as the Witch of Wall Street. She was incredibly frugal with her money. I, I, I was actually just giving a friend the whistle-stop tour of downtown New Bedford. I showed her the building that was, it used to be a bank, now it's a restaurant, but it used to, it was a bank where Hetty Green, like as a little girl, deposited her first, you know, whatever it was, $10 or $12 or whatever. She was so notoriously cheap that when her son broke his leg, she didn't pay a doctor to get it fixed and he walked with a cane for the rest of his life. Yeah. So <laughs> that'll teach you. Yeah. He, when she became invalid, got his revenge by spending all of her money in front of her. Oh, nice. Like, all this money that she had built up, he just bought crazy stuff with. He bought this huge mansion in South Dartmouth, which still exists. It's uh, luxury condos now. Condos now, yeah, yeah right on Round Hill. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's called Colonel Green's Mansion. Now, he was never a colonel. He just called himself colonel because he was kind of, like, eccentric and, and crazy. There was a Ferris wheel on the property at one time. Like I said, there was a helicopter pad, a helicopter. There's a golf course. Yeah, he just spent all of her money in front of her just to like basically stick his middle finger in her face. Give me a lifelong limp, will ya? 
I'll fix you. All right, and wrapping it up, November the 22nd. This is kind of interesting. In 1967, Mark Ruffalo, and also 1984, Scarlett Johansson, two members of the Avengers movies, The Incredible Hulk and Black Widow, respectively. And interesting that they shared the same birthday because they were actually boyfriend and girlfriend in the series. And as I understand how these things work, they're also twins. Yes. (laughs) And I think her first film was Eight-Legged Freaks. Oh, was it? A giant spider monster movie, yes. A lot of people are scared of spiders, but a lot of people are also afraid of... The worst song ever. (laughs) All right, so what do we have for our contender this week for the worst song ever? This week, we travel back in time to establish a new civilization. We, We effectively build this city in 1985 with the shambling remains of Jefferson's airplane (laughs) now doing business as Starship with the most treble-filled synthesizer-encrusted aging rocker shouldn't be on MTV but still is for some insane reason. We built this city on rock and roll, possibly the worst song ever recorded by hominids on planet Earth in the entire history of the... You know what's interesting about this song is, one... It went to number one this week in 1985. This was an incredibly popular song, right? Yes. It is panned as one of the worst songs of all time. It's like well known that this is a piece of crap. Uh, it is like listening to ferrets screech in your ear for right. three and a half minutes. And it's tripe is what it is. And then, like you were saying, it they this is Starship. Now, Starship previously yeah. was known as the Jefferson Starship, which was previously known as yes. the Jefferson Airplane. And the, 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 the comedic part about it is there is a line in the song that says, or something along the lines of, who knows they're always changing corporation names. It's like, yeah, you can't keep your name straight. You- and, and ironically, like the people who are involved in the band are not terrible singers grace slick is a beautiful she has a beautiful voice and in 85 she still had yeah. a beautiful voice and mickey taylor who used to be a backup singer for on the song fool you know he was the singer of the song fooled around and fell in love by yeah. elvin bishop and he was a backup singer in the elvin bishop band for like 10 years and he had a fantastic fantastic yeah. voice what happens when you give them to a producer who i i don't know it's just terrible Come on, it gets even like better this is one of those things where if you take all the your favorite ingredients and put them in a soup, it's going to taste horrible. Yes. Because we have Grace Slick, beautiful voice, and, you know, f- you know, Don't You Want Somebody to Love is a, is a classic, it's an iconic song, White Rabbit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Mickey Taylor, you know, great voice. We just ran down his uh, credentials. This song... Yep was co-written by Bernie Topan, okay, who was the lyricist for El- Elton John, and yep. Peter Wolf from the Jay Giles Band had his fingers in this pie, too. There's no reason this yep. song should suck as hard as it does. Yes, it's terrible. All right, hold on. Let's play that clip. To that kind of place Knee deep in the hoopla Sinking in your fight Too many Right there, right there, that that line, knee deep in the hoopla. Okay, that was the name of the. That's the name of the record too. That's the name of the that's, album yeah, that this, that this yeah, album that terrible song was on. Right now, I just want to give like Bernie Topan a call. It's like, all right, you're the dude who wrote Tiny Dancer. Where what what is going on? You know, you know, I have a theory on why this song was popular. 
is there's that little midsection in the in the song where there's like a radio DJ talking and he and he says you know he says things like you know the the city that rocks and the city by the sea where he's he's kind of like name naming out you know San Francisco and um you know the city that rocks is obviously Cleveland Ohio because that's where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is et cetera et cetera et cetera right right and they say this the city that never sleeps New York and then they left this like space I guess. So that other radio stations around the country could kind of like add in their own thing. I remember the local rock station, HJY, sticking their stuff in, you know. And it's like, I think that's the only reason why it was popular is because... Free advertising, man. It's like payola. Exactly. Exactly. It was like the opposite of payola. It was like free. Yeah. They sold a billboard that you could stick your name on, essentially. I'm sure at the same time, like all the guys in Sig Sig Sputnik who literally sold advertising space on their album were like, damn it. Right. Yeah. Damn it. We could have, oh, we did that the wrong way. Uh, We'll never get nominated for a Grammy like this. (laughs) The thing is, though, like this came out in 1985 and we built this city on rock and roll. Rock and roll, you know, was still on the like the big Godzilla monster that stamped out disco a couple of years earlier, which brings us to the answer of our trivia question. Ah. Now, the trivia question was the Grammys for one year gave out a Grammy for the best disco song. And by the time the next year rolled around, there was so much disco backlash that they removed that category. So only one song has ever won the Grammy for Best Disco Song, what was that song? Was that song Bad Girls by Donna Summer, 1979? That is an excellent, excellent guess, but it is not. Uh, when I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Then is it only... Hot Stuff by no. Donna Summer, 1979? No, f- Donna Summer already. <laughs> no, the song that won the Grammy Award for the Best Disco Song is... I will survive by Gloria Gaynor. Gloria Gaynor, yeah. All right, yep. that was yeah. That definitely came after the Donna Summer records too. Yep. So and and also, I mean, kind of when you think disco, you think that song. All right, so that's gonna wrap up the show for the week. Have a great week, everyone. Say good night, Jeff. Right. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibley or T W W W B L Y. Subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week, and it'll probably be better. <laughs>